you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. In this podcast, we're going to talk about Pastor David Barton's history of eroding church and state and apparently lobbying for the ability to own nuclear weapons. Televangelist Perry Stone's sordid history of false prophecy. Doug Mastriano's belief that elementary schools have a pole dancing problem. We also take voicemails. If you want to leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. If you want to send an email instead, the email address is telltalemailbag at gmail.com. Also, I'm sick. I don't know if you can hear it my voice. I apologize ahead of time if it's super audible in my voice or whatever. I'll do my best. Came across this video on Ron Filipkowski's Twitter account. I don't know if you guys follow him, but he is absolutely fascinating to watch. These people, this is a, a right-wing show, a far-right show at this point, complaining about emails and persecution. Try to figure out how those two things go together. Listen to this. You also say that yeah. uh, Google is suppressing millions of election-related emails. Just in the last month, the committee is accusing the company of marking more than 22 million emails as spam. Okay, this is Ronna McDaniel. McDaniels? McDaniel on the right? Not sure which one. She's the head of the RNC, which is the Republican National Committee. Basically, it's like the head of Republican, the Republican Party. On the left, this is a Fox News host or a Fox Business host or whatever. They're both far, far right, as far right as it gets practically. So here's the claim. Google is marking marketing emails as spam. How is this happening? What, what's going on? Is this real persecution or what? What's going on here? Email is very decentralized. It's one of the most decentralized electronic communication devices in existence, in my opinion. I was a software engineer for six years before getting into YouTube. And I was one of the people that managed email servers for companies. In fact, I still have clients that I do that for to this day, okay? The way that email works is you have these different companies around the world, Yahoo, Gmail. You can host it yourself as I did. And they use protocols to send messages to different email addresses. So say you've got telltale at gmail.com, for example. Gmail.com is a top-level domain. So there are like 17 root servers, or there are more than 17 now, but when I was involved in this, I should tell you how long ago this was. There were 17. I think there are hundreds of root servers around the world now that contain data about where somebody wants to go if they're looking up a .com address or a .org address or, or whatever. So they go to the root servers and they look up .com. And when they get to the .com root server that contains the data they're looking for, they look for Google. They find Google's entry in that root server. I'm describing something called DNS right now. So they find the entry that Google gave to these root servers when they created their, or when they bought their domain name, when they registered the information, they gave them 
something called a name server and the name server points to an IP address, okay? So when you type google.com, it's eventually directing somebody to an IP address. There's no like moderator in there trying to make sure you're not sending something you're not supposed to. There's no, you know, admin team that can ban you from this thing or that thing or whatever else yet. We're getting there. So you, you, you're you sending an email to telltale at gmail.com, right? When you send that email, it looks up .com and then it looks up Gmail within that. And then, then it gets something called MX records, which allow you to send that email to Google's servers or to Yahoo's servers or whoever is hosting the email. It, I host email currently. Anybody can host email, anyone. Once it reaches that server, it looks at the email address and it sends the message to that person. That's how it works. Optionally, companies can choose to create a spam filter. Let me tell you a story I discovered one time. I was managing an email server and I got an alert from Amazon that our systems were being used for nefarious purposes. So I get in there and I look at a record of every email address that was sent or received by anybody. That's something you can do when you are running your own email server. And I saw a billion examples of like, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm a Nigerian prince and... All I need is $2,000 to pay the taxes on my inheritance, and then I will receive $3 million and give you half. I saw like a billion of these emails being sent out to like a ton of random email addresses. What they'll do, these hackers, they will get into these systems. They will purchase a list of hacked email addresses. Like I had this app called Park Mobile. I use it to pay parking meters, right, when I lived in Florida for a while. Park Mobile was hacked. They didn't steal credit card information or anything. All they stole was email addresses. Now, that doesn't seem very useful to the, the average person. But when you realize that these Nigerian princes purchased these massive lists of e stolen email addresses from hackers to use them for these Nigerian prince scams, it starts to get a lot clearer what they would use these email addresses for. So Amazon contacts me and says, your email server is being used to send out massive amounts of spam to people. You need to put a stop to it. So I changed all the passwords naturally, ran virus scanners and all, you know, malware detectors, all that other good stuff. But I also put a program on there to detect when anything that fits the pattern of the Nigerian Prince scam is detected. So it just scans every email that comes in and says, is it asking for money because it's a prince? Is it asking for $3,000 and it'll give you 2 million back or anything like that? If it fits this pattern, put it in the spam folder. They can still receive the email. Just make sure that these people know that it's likely spam. I'm not censoring them. I'm not deleting it. I'm not reading it. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just moving it to a separate folder because it's likely not trustworthy. That's how email works. It's completely decentralized. If you want to mark something as not spam, like if you think that that Nigerian print really isn't a spam emailer, you can go in there and select not spam and Gmail and Yahoo and all of the others Will, will allow that email through and not send it right to the spam box. There is no censorship here. What these people are banking on their listeners not understanding 
is that fundamental fact. This is an extremely decentralized system, and it has been since it was invented in the 80s or 90s or something. There is no censorship here. They're banking on their audience not understanding how this works. So with that background in mind, listen to this again. Understanding that there's no censorship here, it's completely decentralized, and they're, they're full of sh just in the last month, the committee is accusing the company of marking more than 22 million emails as spam, including get out the vote messages. You're exploring legal options. What are you uh, going to do? They're completely full of it. They have no idea what they're talking about if they're really suing Google for like censorship or whatever other thing. If they didn't want to be marked as spam, they shouldn't type emails in that look like Nigerian prince scams. They have to understand that this is an inevitable consequence of basic spam bot detection. Yeah, so we spent the day on the phone with attorneys yesterday. We are very seriously looking at how we can sue Google. Google Great. Well, when you are very seriously suing them, get back to me. I don't give a shit about very seriously looking at. I can't see how this could possibly happen. I mean, there is a whole system of reputation with this. It doesn't just stop at spam bots and you know sending things to the spam folder you can build an email reputation too i used to communicate with companies all the time and tell them hey i'm a reputable organization i work with this company and we're not soliciting money from people we're just sending receipts or bills or invoices that's all we're doing we're not scamming anybody or anything can you please put us on a white list and sure enough, Google did. Gmail would put me on a whitelist. That only does so much. You have to build your reputation. You have to be a reputable organization to be able to make it into the, the regular inbox, not just the spam folder. And these people have obviously trashed their reputation in the email world, which is what led to this. And they're complaining about it. I'm sorry. You guys are trying to scam your viewers, more often than not. And that is why they ended up in the trash folder or in the spam folder. That's what happened. If they don't like that, don't be predatory Nigerian print scams, basically. Google controls 53% of the emails in the United States, and they are suppressing right now Republican get out the vote emails ahead of this election. We know. I don't know if that's true. Google controls 53% of the emails. That does not sound right to me. Maybe, but I'm very skeptical. Out of this election, we know this. Okay, so the point is they are desperately trying to scream about persecution. They want everybody to believe that they are the most persecuted people alive, that they are mistreated by the big bad corporations, which is honestly really strange to hear from people like this who generally support corporations in everything, support them over people when it's convenient. It's insane. Anyway, all right, yeah, that was just a little section I wanted to give. Let's listen to a voicemail. Hi, this is Michael from uh, Texas. I just had a quick question. What is your opinion on stuff like religious-based Christmas carols, like Silent Night, stuff like that? I know there are secular ones, but I just want an opinion on religious ones. Thank you. Generally, I think it's a bad thing to do things to intentionally remove yourself from cultural events. Same with Halloween. You know, I was just talking about this the other day. There are is a large contingent of Christians who have a real problem with Halloween and as a result separate their children from it. 
re- refused to let them celebrate, re- refused to let them do trick-or-treating or any of that stuff. I had a bad experience with being completely isolated from society entirely when I was younger. Couldn't celebrate Christmas or birthdays or Valentine's Day in school. Imagine that. Or anything. And in my opinion, there's no reason to limit yourself and isolate yourself away from society that way. It, It's just not helpful. That's just my take on it. So basically, here's the bottom line. Sing whatever song you want. Enjoy life. We only get one go around. That's my take. Thanks for the uh, voicemail. Hey, Owen. It's Brian from Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, fellow X3W. I may not be your biggest fan, but at uh, 240 pounds, I'm probably getting up there. No, that's clever. Okay. Thanks. Anyway, I had a question about your Sodom and Gomorrah claim where they were, where you said that they were destroyed for their treatment of the poor. Uh, I'm just wondering what, where in the Bible it says that, because I've been trying to look it up, and I just end up with vague references to them being sinners and exceedingly wicked. Uh, anyway, thanks. Love the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, really good question. So the other day I pointed out that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because of their attachment to the LGBT community or because they were gay or whatever other thing. It wasn't because of that. It was because of their ill treatment of the poor. And this listener wants me to back that up with the facts. So I can do that. Let's take a look. Sodom and Gomorrah, the story starts out, just kind of jumps right into it. It's like this guy's communing with God and he says that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the guy says, what, what if there are 50 righteous people there? Would you destroy it then? He says, for 50 people, no. And then he goes down and he does this all the way down to like five or 10 people or something. He says, okay, if you find 10 faithful people there, I'm not going to destroy it. He goes to the city and he discovers that people there are doing these things that they don't like. And Christians tend to use that as the basis for the belief that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for their homosexual lifestyles, quote unquote. In reality, Ezekiel 16, 49, and 50 tell us exactly why they were destroyed. The Bible does not start the story by telling us why God was talking about destroying them in the first place. It just talks about God destroying them or or that he's about to, haggling down to 10 people, 10 righteous people in the city. Here's Ezekiel 16, 49, and 50. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty. That's a word I only hear in religious contexts. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. There is the reason why I say it was because of their ill treatment of the poor. That's why God went in in the first place. And not until he got in did he find that they were doing all these other things that they supposedly don't like. So there you go. Uh, Thanks so much for the email. I appreciate it. Hi, Owen. This is Jim in Pennsylvania. And I was uh, wondering what your thoughts would be if Trump were to win the 2024 election, since he spent three years as president campaigning and he wouldn't be able to run for a third term, how would he spend his time? Just curious. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I appreciate that. Interesting question. In my opinion, Trump would spend his time meddling as much as he possibly could, not in the illegal way or underhanded way, but 
I mean, like just trying to endorse candidates and trying to control the Republican Party to the best of his ability. And eventually he's probably going to hand the the anointing down to one of his kids, if you will. Uh, that's my guess. Before he dies on his deathbed, he's going to say, oh, I want my supporters to vote for John, for Don Jr. or something like that. I guess time will tell. He does have a full blown religion built up around him, though, in all seriousness. It's not just like a, a political party or, or a cult that's behind him anymore. It is an actual, real, full blown religious movement. I do not say that lightly. Look at the cover of this book. We're reading this book on my Telltale Reads YouTube channel right now. Donald J. Trump, the Son of Man, the Christ by Helgard Muller. Insane. Absolutely insane stuff. Seriously. It's a religious movement now. No longer just a cult or just a political movement or party. It is a religion now. Hey, Owen. This is Tony from Texas again. Just when I was sitting here watching your video on the uh, student loan forgiveness and tens of the people that bitch the most are the first ones to have their hand out when something happens to them. Uh, case in point, look at DeSantis. Uh, he was complaining about Biden until Ian's storm kicked his, his state's ass, and now he's begging for help. Just wanted to point that out. Thanks, buddy. Keep up the good work. Bye. Absolutely agree with you on that point. There's a name for this. I forget exactly what it is, but it's where they – privatize the profits and socialize the losses that's the general philosophy corporate socialism is the name for that i think where they want to earn all the profits and keep them and give them to the shareholders and everything else but when something bad happens they want the government to come in and bail them out and give them extra money to help them survive and all that stuff it's a similar idea with the state of Florida and other Republican politicians. Recently, there's an infrastructure bill passed by Biden and the Democrats in the Senate and the House, I believe. And a bunch of Republicans voted against it and talked shit about it nonstop publicly, like on TV. They went on Fox News and said, oh, this is socialism. This is socialism. It's evil. It's wrong. We can't do this. And guess what happens? The bill passes. So all this money is available for states all they have to do is apply for the funds, and the Department of Transportation is the is the branch of the government who decides who gets what, like which state gets what. Guess who came asking the Department of Transportation, cap in hand, for a little money? Rand Paul, of all people, somebody who called this bill socialism, voted against it. I mean, a whole bunch of Republican politicians come out of the woodwork after voting against this bill and send a letter about how much it would help their state. They really want some of this money to fix the infrastructure in their state. Isn't that interesting? They don't care about logical or moral consistency. What they care about is hurting their enemy. That's all they have ever cared about. And it's honestly sad. Just, I mean, the example you gave is a perfect one. DeSantis is constantly talking about how evil the Democrats are, voted against aid after Hurricane Sandy hit the Northeast, and now he's coming to Biden cap in hand asking for money. And what does Biden do? Gives him the money, which is the right thing to do. It's just a perfect example of Democrat politicians generally are not scumbags. Like Biden, for example, isn't a scumbag. He wouldn't withhold aid, like deeply necessary aid to save people's lives just to score political points. And Republicans are 
scumbags, like Republican politicians are scumbags when it comes to this stuff. They are perfectly willing to let people die because they don't want to give aid. And how would it hurt them? It wouldn't. Wouldn't hurt them at all. It's just simply disgusting. This kind of hypocrisy, this kind of behavior from Republican politicians, it's grotesque and evil and sad. Anyway, thank you so much for the uh, voicemail. I appreciate that. Next, we're going to talk about Pastor David Barton's history of eroding church and state and apparently lobbying for the ability to own nuclear weapons. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. If you like what I do and you want to see me continue to do it, check out my Patreon. You can also check out my Telltale Unfiltered channel, Twitter, and Teespring. All links can be found in the description. This is David Barton. If you're unfamiliar, he's most famous probably for eroding the wall between church and state, doing everything he can to erase it, trying to break it down. He's a Christian nationalist to the core, and he's a propagandist. And a lot of far-right figures use his propaganda in their speeches and on Twitter and other places. So let's talk about the type of propaganda that he promotes, that he comes up with and encourages. Listen to this. This is from late January 2021, where he lays out the basic response when people criticize others for being homophobic or, or for being anti-LGBT. We're getting attacked because you love Trump and you're, you're a cult for Trump. Absolutely true. What happens is you cannot back away from engaging in the debate. This is where you run to the roar. And if they want to call me a homophobe, I say, oh, so you're a heterophobe, are you? Just turn it back in the other direction. And so you've got this bias against heterosexual people. You That's that, that is the basic idea behind the current Republican strategy at this moment. Anytime they are accused of anything, turn it back around. Point it in the other direction. Oh, you're a homophobe. Well, you're a heterophobe. You can't disengage from the debate just because they're being mean or just because they're saying things about you. That seems pretty simple, but he's actually been laying out the framework for a lot of the propaganda methods used in the Republican Party. I've got a bunch of examples. Listen to this one. This is him reframing the Civil War and the way people look at it. He claims to be a historian. In reality, he's not. He has a bachelor's degree at some Christian university, not even related to history. It's related to Bible something or other. He's not a historian by any stretch of the imagination, but he claims to be, and the right embraces him as such because he tells them the things that they want to hear. Listen to how he frames the Civil War. The northern states were very anti-slavery because they were very Bible-oriented. The southern states were very Christian-professing, but they didn't know much of the about the Bible, and they didn't read it much. They just professed to be Christians. you got to be joking. He, he completely misunderstands the situation entirely, claims to be a historian. He is one of those people who isn't really in the public face as much as somebody like Donald Trump or Kenneth Copeland or whatever, but he pulls all the levers behind the scenes. For example, he runs, or ran at least, a super PAC for Ted Cruz. Now, if you're unfamiliar, a super PAC is basically an organization that is technically unaffiliated with any political candidate, 
legally has to be unaffiliated. Candidates are only allowed to take a certain amount in donations per year. They're only allowed to take a certain amount from certain people. You're like, you're not allowed to donate more than, say, $10,000 per candidate. There are a lot of rules and regulations about how much money political candidates are allowed to take in, okay? So the, the way they get around that is by creating a super PAC. Like I said, they are completely uninvolved technically. The candidates themselves have nothing to do with this super PAC. It's just a group of guys that really like Ted Cruz or Donald Trump and you know, maybe collect a whole bunch of money from gullible suckers to advertise for them. There are basically no rules about how much a super PAC is allowed to collect from people and what they're allowed to do with it. So in 2016, before Trump won the primary to be the nominee to be president, David Barton was the leader of a super PAC for Ted Cruz. He was like the owner that controlled it and everything. That is how high up this guy was, okay? Or is. That's how high up he is. I'm not sure what happened to the super PAC at this moment. It may still exist in some form. I'm really not sure, but just bear with me through this story, okay? After Ted Cruz lost the primary to Donald Trump, after Trump officially became the Republican nominee for president in 2016, that super PAC switched from supporting Ted Cruz to supporting Donald Trump. That happens from time to time. A lot of the super PACs that were behind a specific candidate in the primaries align behind the party nominee to make sure that the party wins ultimately, right? This happens in a lot of cases. So anyways, they aligned behind Donald Trump and David Barton became one of the most powerful people in politics as a result because he was behind Donald Trump's largest super PAC or one of his largest super PACs. I think he has four of them now. So anyways, David Barton is not a nobody. He may not have a public face all the time everywhere. You may not have heard of him. I don't know. But he's extremely powerful. And he is the driving force behind propaganda for Christian nationalism trying to break down that wall of church-state separation desperately. And what we just heard him say a minute ago about slave owners not reading the Bible and not really being biblical people, that's complete nonsense. It's revisionist history. This is what he does. He just makes things up completely. Whatever fits his worldview best, he goes with that. And he, go he gets out here in front of crowds and spreads it. The South actually used the Bible to justify slavery, and it was pretty easy to do. The Bible explicitly encourages and endorses slavery. So I'm honestly not sure where he's getting the idea that the North were the biblical ones and the South were not. That's complete nonsense. The South was, was and still is known for their religious extremism. And trust me, they used the Bible to their advantage it, to those ends a lot. So anyway, the guy has no qualifications to call himself a historian, and he calls himself that anyways. Bear with me through this. Listen to, uh, listen to what he has to say here, early December 2021. This should form out his Christian nationalist ideals pretty clearly. Listen to this one. The greatest people killer of all has been government. Nothing has killed more people than government has killed. And so when you look at that, the Founding Fathers believed that the people should be able to have enough arms in place to be able to remind their government, you don't want to mess with us. You don't want to come after us. Well, if 
Okay, so what he said there, nobody has killed more than government. I guess that would depend on what you mean by government. Do you mean just like an organization that has organized a military to take military action? Like, what does he even mean? This is what propaganda is. This is how it works. He'll do anything he can to make you believe that Christianity is right, that the founding fathers were all ultra-evangelical Christian nutcases, not true, obviously, and that libertarian ideals are best. He hates the government. This guy does. In fact, he doesn't just hate the government. He's like an ANCAP. There's libertarian, and then there's one step past that, which is an anarcho-capitalist, where people believe that government just shouldn't exist at all, and we should exist as basically like a governmentless society where corporations would step in and make things happen for, or step in and take control of the things that government was previously doing, basically. He's an extreme, extreme libertarian, extreme Christian, Christian nationalist. He's way out there. And, And if you're not sure if you believe that yet, listen to the rest of this recording. Well, if all we've got is pea shooters and they've got 50 caliber machine guns, that's not that's not the point of the First Amendment. Okay, so the the argument that he's making here is the Second Amendment was intended to stop a rogue government or a tyrannical government. That's not actually what it was for. The Second Amendment was intended to allow states to have their own militias so that they could make sure that slaves stayed in line and things like that. But okay, you know, he wants to have an army or be capable of building an army that is capable of facing down the U.S. government. Well, the U.S. government has nukes. So what are you going to do then? Because they point out consistently, Patrick Henry and George Mason and others, that the greatest threat to your loss of guns will come from government, not from criminals or others. And so they were very adamant that you'd be able to have that, which is why we see in Boston, they didn't care if you have a cannon. You can have a cannon, but please don't shoot it in town or within a mile of town. It's just so loud. I mean, it wasn't the, the fact of having a cannon. It was just it's a little loud just to be shooting off just for fun. Complete nonsense. He has no idea what he's talking about, first of all. Or maybe he does know exactly what he's talking about and is intentionally misleading people. Basically, everything out of the guy's mouth is twisted, nonsensical propaganda. Remember a minute ago, I laid out an argument that completely shuts this down, that the U.S. government has nukes? This is where he addresses that criticism. I'll just be shooting off just for fun. So in the same way, you know, I don't want to see my, my, my neighbor stockpile nuclear bombs. Yeah, I don't want to see it, but I don't care if he has one because he should have he should have the same rights. But you're saying, well, I don't think private citizens should have nuclear weapons. That's insane. That is insane. This guy wants people to be able to own nuclear weapons. Anybody, just the random guy down the street should be allowed to own a nuclear weapon. And you know why he thinks it would be perfectly safe for people to own nuclear weapons? There is this concept of non-aggression within libertarian circles. They believe that people are generally not aggressive to each other and would be able to maintain a society with no government because people are not aggressive to each other. They would follow this rule of non-aggression. But aside from just that, he believes that in this perfect society, this utopia that he intends to build, everybody would be a Christian. Everyone would be Christian and thus trustworthy. If they weren't a Christian, They couldn't live there. So not only does he want an anarcho-capitalist state with no government. This is not a nobody, remember. This guy 
leads the super PAC or leads a super PAC that started out for Ted Cruz and is now funding Donald Trump's ads that, that funds Donald Trump himself. This guy controls a lot of money, a lot of influence. He has lobbied the government and has built lobbying arms. He knows what he's doing and he's extremely influential and he gives talks at churches all the time and on televangelist networks constantly this is the this is the system he wants he wants a state with no government that is entirely christian where weapons up to and including nukes are allowed for anybody to own but if you've been trained with responsibility and morality and the concept of when and where you use them the fact there you go responsibility and morality that's the christian aspect to it honey fathers are trained extensively and the concept of defensive warfare you don't start anything now if somebody else starts it you can take it on but you don't start it I don't that's the non-aggression philosophy that i was talking about a second ago you don't start it i don't care if my neighbor has a nuclear weapon as long as he has that defensive concept that he will never use that unless it's being used against him and how do you know that he'll have that defensive concept? Because he's a Christian. That's how this works. Completely ignoring the fact that the vast majority of prisoners in the United States are Christian. The atheist population in the prison system in the U.S. is like half a percent or one percent or something like that. It's so incredibly tiny. Protestant is 28.7 percent. Catholic is 24 percent. Muslim is eight and a half percent. Native Americans 3.1. Pagan 2 percent. Jewish 1.7 percent. Churches of Christ 1.5. Buddhist 1. Jehovah's Witnesses 0.7. What? That's crazy. Seventh-day Adventist, 0.3. Mormon, 0.3. Eastern Orthodox, 0.2. Apostolic, 0.2. So most of these are Christian denominations, right? The only ones that aren't are like Muslim, Native American, Pagan, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, Atheist, and Sikh. The rest of these are all Christian denominations, and Atheists make up 0.1% of the prison population in the U.S. 0.1%. One, the vast majority of the prison population in the U.S. is Christian. So I don't know what leads this guy to the conclusion that the world would be a better place if it was 100% Christians. So yeah, that's David Barton. He is desperate to convince people around him that he is correct, that we need a Christian nationalist ethnostate, effectively. An anarcho-capitalist libertarian hellscape is what he's shooting for, and it's deeply deeply disturbing on so many levels it's ridiculous listen to this one this is an example of him completely twisting history around and misrepresenting it in every way this is early february 2022 say god has a lot to say about economics you know that god talks about what we call the capital gains tax the bible also talks about no it doesn't you know why because it didn't exist at the time no in no way shape or form did capital gains have any chance of existing back then the capital gains tax, let me just define it for you. Capital gains tax is the tax on profits realized on the sale of a non-inventory asset. The most common capital gains are realized from sale of stocks, bonds, precious metals, real estate, and property. So here's an example for you with capital gains. Say you invest, I don't know, $50,000 into Twitter. So you buy 
uh, what is Twitter even worth? I don't know, $50 a share or something? So you just buy a 1,000 shares of Twitter, right? You wait two years, you sit on that, and now it's worth $70 a share. So that's $20,000 profit. But you don't have to sell that immediately. You can just keep sitting on it and as long as you don't sell it, it's considered an asset. When you sell it, that's called realizing the gains. If you don't sell it, it could go all the way up to $70 a share, and then it could drop to $15 a share for all you know, and then you've lost money, net lost money, right? That's why it's not usually taxed until you realize the gains, until you actually sell some of the shares to receive the profits from it. So capital gains is a tax that I think it's set to 15% in the US right now. Capital gains tax rate is 0%, 15%, or 20% on most assets held for longer than a year. Capital gains tax on assets held for a year or less correspond to ordinary income tax brackets. Okay, there you go. There's the answer. I think at one point, capital gains used to just be a flat 15%. It was a way to incentivize people to invest and save, basically. Well, anyway, it's a very complicated system that didn't exist until fairly recently, uh, relatively. The New York Stock Exchange wasn't created until May 17, 1792. I'm not sure if that's the first stock market. I think the first stock market may have been from 1602. Not 100% sure on that exactly, but the point is, there was no stock market 6,000 years ago when this guy's talking about, or... I, mean, I don't know, 3,000 years ago. There's no stock market when the Bible was being written is the point, which is the point he's trying to make out. That God talks about what we call the capital gains tax. No, God does not talk about the capital gains tax. You see what he just did? I had to go through like five minutes of explanation to debunk something that took him 30 seconds to say or even less. That's the nature of propaganda. Throw out as many ridiculous claims as you can as quickly as possible to as many people as you can to convince them as, of as many of your ideas as you possibly can because it'll take longer than anybody has to undo the damage that you can do in such a short amount of time. The Bible also talks about things like the estate tax, the inheritance tax. It talks about... I'm skeptical. Progressive taxes, talks about flat taxes, talks about capitation taxes. Yeah, I don't think any of this is true. I think he's completely making this up. Uh, of course, he's not citing any sources for us, so we have no reason to believe it until he does. The Bible has so much on economics. It's interesting, even as Jesus and, and, and Peter were talking, and Jesus said, Peter, he said, tell me, who, who pays taxes, the children or the foreigners? And Peter said, oh, that's easy. Children don't pay taxes. It's the foreigners that pay taxes. Really? Yeah, see, that's why. Okay, I... Again, I don't know how true that is. I don't even remember that verse. Maybe it is true. But guess what? They had a completely different system set up back then than we have today. First of all, they didn't have 350 million people in their little province, in their little area, their country. Everything the guy says is built on faulty premises. It's all ridiculous from the ground up, but it doesn't matter. He says it, and his gullible audience believes him. Something people don't really understand about the tax system, and not just that, but like a lot of big systems. I learned this when I was a software engineer, like especially coding systems. You can't just start with something, this tiny little thing, and then expand it out into a gigantic thing like that. Like things don't scale that easily. You have to like structure them to scale. So what he's talking about here is Jesus living in an area where there was a flat tax 
or they taxed the foreigners or whatever else. Yeah, that may have worked, if that's even true, that may have worked for a little tiny province where Jesus lived with a certain number of people. How many? I don't know. Thousands, maybe? A few thousand? It would not work in a country of 350 million. It just wouldn't. And we don't need to take David Barton's word for this, or my word. We have economists who study this stuff, who understand tax law and regulation and, and economics and political science better than any of us could possibly understand. But David Barton doesn't look to any of them for answers, doesn't even care. What he cares about is spreading the word of Jesus, claiming he's a fake historian, and propagandizing to people. That's it. In early America, you didn't tax the citizens. There was no direct taxes. We had to alter the Constitution to be able to tax you directly because we had... All Okay, I, I don't, that does not sound right to me. Again, this guy just propagandizes and lies about all kinds of stuff. I'm not even sure if that's true. Because we had all the taxes on the foreigners. We had all the tariffs and all the, all the different ways of taxing the things that came from the outside, not, not the inside. Well, that was a tax piece of policy out of the Bible. What an amazing thing that would be to go back to that. Okay, that's fascinating. So what he's recommending here is anything that comes into the country, we tax those people through a tariff. So if we want to buy something from China, China ships over a, a, a big old shipping container full of like little grass skirt hula girls that sit on people's dashboards or whatever, right? And they're like $3 each. So what he's proposing is we pay China for those things and then charge them a tax for sending it into our country. You know what happens then? Tariffs are not paid by the Chinese or whoever is producing this stuff. They're paid by Americans. They're paid by us. And we have to raise the prices on goods that we sell to others. He thinks he's getting one over or, or found a loophole into fixing tax policy by just charging Chinese for like through tariffs or whatever. That's not how it works at all. Like I said, the dude has a bachelor's degree from some Christian university. What is his what is his degree? He has a bachelor of arts degree in religious education from Oral Roberts University in 1976. A four-year bachelor degree in religious education. No joke. He's pretending to know what he's talking about when it comes to tax policy, economics, political science. He has no idea what he's talking about. Check this one out. Early October 2022 is a reasonably new video. He told the people that if you want to know what the, lo the law is, go ask the priest. And it wasn't just the ecclesiastical law. It was every aspect of the law. And that's the way the American founding was. What I showed you this morning when... Okay, it's interesting what he's saying here. So he says people used to ask the priest about the law. Are we talking the Christian priest? I mean, there are some circumstances in which the Catholic Church ran entire towns. That was actually really common a long time ago. The Catholic Church would run towns, and that's where excommunication came from. That's where the concept of it came from. The idea was if somebody breaks one of the church's rules, that you're not supposed to fornicate or something like that the entire church not just the church but the town because remember the entire town is part of this church they would all excommunicate this person together nobody would rent to them they couldn't buy food at the grocery store they couldn't buy horses they couldn't buy grain they couldn't nothing the hope is that they would just wander into the woods and die that's the idea behind excommunication. So in some circumstances, at one point in history, a very dark 
point in history. Churches used to run towns. Is that what he's talking about? He most definitely wants to go back to the point in time that I just described. He is a Christian nationalist. That's the goal. I'm just not sure if that's the time he was specifically referring to here. This morning when John Adams said, where'd we get our ideas? He pointed to pastors. John Adams, very specifically, was one of the most religious founding fathers. He was not a good person, honestly, at all. He fought tooth and nail to get religious extremism fit into the country, and many of the other founding fathers refused to go along with it. Thomas Jefferson was not religious, really, at all. He created the Jefferson Bible, where he basically cut out any mentions of magical thinking or whatever. I mean, Thomas Paine was a, a huge proponent of secularism, very anti-Christian nationalism. I mean, there, there were a bunch of non-religious founding fathers who did everything they could to fight Christian nationalism. There are not very many Christian extremist founding fathers, but that's the one that you can really pick out of a crowd, John Adams, and that's the one he talks about constantly, honestly. Pastors, it's not just the, the conversion stuff, it's the discipleship stuff. And I really encourage you to be broad-minded in that. All it means, the legal stuff as well. Uh, there's just a whole lot there. People need to go to you to find out what the law means and what the law says. Not just the Bible law, but every law that's out there. We're the ones that have the best perspective on it. We're the ones that have the best perspective on it. Christians is what he's saying. He wants a Christian nationalist state. That's what he's shooting for. That's what he's always wanted since the, I don't, at least since the 90s. That's when I first saw him appear on the scenes. I'm sure he's been doing this since he got his degree in religious whatever it was, back in 1976. But that's what it's all about for this guy, turning this into a Christian nationalist state. And as I said earlier, we know exactly how that turns out. When a religion controls a state, it leads to authoritarian, top-down control. It, it is not good. By its very nature, religions are authoritarian, top-down structures. And that's okay in some situations, you know. Companies are also authoritarian, top-down hierarchies. There's one guy at the top, the owner, who calls all the shots and controls everything, makes all the decisions and stuff. That's how companies operate. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have small pieces of society operate that way as long as people are free to exit those things if they want you can't exit the government if it turns into an authoritarian hellscape this guy saw authoritarianism and fascism and said yeah let's have some of that i love that that's what he's shooting for now it's deeply disturbing and if i hadn't made it clear before he's an extremely influential person and he has been for decades if you disagree with anything I've said in this, let me know in the comments or on Twitter at Telltale Atheist. Next, we're going to talk about televangelist Perry Stone's sordid history of false prophecy. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale channel. If you like what I do and you want to see me continue to do it, check out my Patreon. You can also check out my Telltale Unfiltered channel, Twitter, and Teespring. All links can be found in the description. This is Perry Stone, and he's a televangelist. He's been extremely influential in the business for 
a long time, decades, at least since the 80s, probably earlier, maybe the 60s. I I couldn't really track down when his ministry started, but he's been doing it for like ever. If you're unfamiliar with him, I just want to give you a little introduction to who he is because he's had some really bizarre stuff to say recently, and I want to get to that. But first, let me introduce you to him. This is from mid-June 2018. It was on a DVD special that he released to the... That he was selling, I guess. He was selling this to the public. Listen to what he had to say here about Luciferians, the deep state, and the cabal. Under the Obama administration, I received a, a visit from a gentleman who is a billionaire. We began to talk about world leaders and world leaders that he had sat with. And he said something to me that I had never heard in my life. He said to me, he said, you'd be shocked how many, many of the world leaders, especially in Europe, are Luciferians. What's a Luciferian, I hear you asking? It's just another word for Illuminati, effectively. Um, they, I think they have the same root word, don't they? Maybe not. I'll have somebody... I'll look it up when I do the editing, and I'll put the answer right here in a cute little text box, right, above, like, right on my forehead. It's a yes or no answer. Is Illuminati and Luciferian, are they the same root word? You'll see the answer right here. I don't know it now, but when you see this, you will. Anyway, yeah, it's basically the same thing. It's just the Illuminati. It's conspiracy theory nonsense. And that's what this guy is always engaged in since day one. That's what he's always been about, conspiracy theory. So keep listening to this. We call him a Luciferian or Luciferian. And I said, I have never heard that term before. Now, if you go to the internet and look it up, it gives you this information, but it's a little bit hokey because this is a secret cobble of people. And I When he says cobble, he means secret cabal. Secret cabal of people. That's the word that he meant to use there. This is from 2018, so it's a year or so, or maybe a few months after QAnon started. So QAnon started in 2017. This is in June 2018, right? I don't remember what month QAnon started. Anyway, what he's repeating here are QAnon conspiracy theories. All of these are from QAnon. Like, that's where it all started. And it sounds to me like this guy is going down that rabbit hole right now. Well, you're going to have to explain to me what a Luciferian is. He said these individuals are from the Catholic and Orthodox background, so they have a Christian background when they were raised. Yeah, here's another thing about evangelicals like this guy. They demonize Catholics as, like, the root of all evil. So naturally, a Luciferian who worships Satan or whatever comes from a Catholic background. They were already evil to start with, and now they're even more evil, right? But as they got older and were educated in the universities, they began, had a twisted concept of Lucifer or Satan. And the universities are evil, naturally. Education, higher education is evil, naturally, in this guy's mind. See how it's all kind of falling together? He has a set of premises that he works off of. There's a cabal of people in the world that controls everything and pulls the strings. The people involved in the cabal worship Satan and Higher education is evil. Now, how can we work that all into an overarching conspiracy theory? And they, they said they read a verse. Somebody said one of their leaders a long time ago read a verse in, in Luke where Satan was tempting Jesus and said, bow and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world for they're delivered to me and whosoever I will, I give them. And he said they looked at that verse and said, wait a minute, Satan owns world kingdoms. So if we associate ourselves with Satan, and we give our allegiance to him, he has the power to give us the world kingdoms, to give us countries and nations, and to make a lot of money. 
this is all completely made up, obviously. If anybody were to have made a deal with the devil or whatever, it would be me. And I have to tell you, there is no Satan. There is no devil to make a deal with. If it were possible, I would have. I didn't make a deal with the devil. Nobody is making deals with the devil. Or if they are, they're not coming to be. Because there is no devil. If this was a real thing that really existed, don't you think people would have harnessed this power already? The U.S. military would have turned it into a weapon of war by now? Seriously. I mean, just think about it for like five seconds. That's all it takes to poke holes in the ridiculous logic being laid out here. So he said they don't view Satan as a fallen angel or a bad person. They view Satan as someone who got a bum rap. And he said, what really shocks me is he's, I go to dinner, I go to state dinners with a handful of these real high-level business people in some of the nations of Europe, and they, the, the guest will say, shall we arise together and pray to our father Lucifer? And I said, Are you, this really happens. He's no, it doesn't. It does not really happen. It absolutely happens. He said, it frightens me to no end because I'm a believer, and I bow my head and pray to the name of Jesus. But he said, I know for a fact that there are people in high places who have dedicated or given themselves over to Lucifer thinking he's not a bad angel. God gave him a bad rap because he's jealous of him and he has the authority over the nations of the world. So if you're going to be a world leader and have an effective leadership, then you're going to have to somehow in some way align yourself in the allegiance of Satan. You notice what's what's happening here in the background. Deep state rising is, is coming up in the background. Like this whole thing from beginning to end is completely fabricated. Here's what makes it a really honestly hilarious conspiracy theory in my mind. How many people would have to be involved in the cover up to prevent others from finding out about this? Like really think about this. How many people would have to be involved in the cover up to fake the moon landing? or to fake the flat earth. Big globe manufacturers would have to be involved. Big telescope manufacturers would have to be involved. Big airline would have to be involved. Every single pilot from here to Texas would have to be lying about what they knew about the flat earth. Millions of people involved in this conspiracy theory and not one single leaker. How about that? He's saying that these people stand up and pray to Satan at every dinner with random people they don't even know if they believe or not, like they had one believer in there while they did this? Give me a break. There would be video evidence. There would be more than a single person coming out of the woodwork and making these claims. It's completely ridiculous from top to bottom. But what matters is that they're gullible suckers of an audience believe it, and they absolutely do. That's not the only conspiracy the dude dove into. I'm now considering the conspiracy theory that Trump is prophetic or messianic. I'm now considering that a conspiracy theory. So check out what he had to say about Trump mid-December 2020. Listen to this. This is right before January 6th. So this is like, I don't know, two, three weeks before January 6th happened. Leading up to this, Trump was like really laying out election conspiracies, doing everything he could to freak people out and make them think that it was stolen and that he was cheated and all this other stuff, whipping them into a blood frenzy to the best of his ability. This is all part of the reason why I believe that the kingdom of darkness has hated President Trump the way that it has because uh, uh, here and here's what I want to say because of the fact 
And I, I, look, I know prophecy like I know the back of my hand. I've been preaching 45, almost 46 years and have uh, over 170,000 hours of Bible study. Now, I'm not bragging, but I'm going to make a point. Okay, I've talked about this before, and I did the math on this, and it's completely ridiculous. Technically speaking, I think, based on the numbers that he gave us, it's been a while since I did the math, I think that if he did 10 hours a day of reading the Bible, every day of the week for 45 years, he could reach that number, technically. But he doesn't spend 10 hours a day doing that. He takes bathroom breaks, he does live sermons, he holds church services, he drives from place to place, he has a family, he has all that stuff. It's, it's not possible for him to have done that much Bible reading in that amount of time. That's neither here nor there. I'm just establishing the dude is lying. He's simply not being truthful with us. Once again, it's a little point, but it's the little things I feel I need to drive home. I know prophecy, and I know when prophecy is accelerating. And President Trump, with I don't think he did it purposely. I don't think anyone came to him and said, hey, you're the prophetic president. you got to fulfill this. He literally did things that helped accelerate the end-time prophecy. Now, why is that important to understand? Because it says that Satan comes down with great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. And I honestly believe the way things were moving prophetically as Trump was dealing with the Middle East and Israel was so significant prophetically that the enemy just said, we've got to get this guy out to slow down the prophetic acceleration. Wow. So not only is Donald Trump prophetic, he didn't come out and say mess messianic here, but they do say. When I say they, there are many people out there, but I'll just name one. Shane Vaughn, another televangelist who is another member of the Trump cult, has specifically and explicitly come out and called Trump the new messiah. Another person is Jovan Pulitzer. He's a famous right-wing figure. He's come out and called Donald Trump a new messiah. Plus, right now on my Telltale Reads YouTube channel, we're reading a book called President Donald J. Trump, The Son of Man, The Christ. It's it's this book right here. You've probably seen a picture of it on Twitter. It's making its rounds right now with how crazy it is. This is a well-established belief right now that I'm laying out. The calling of God, he is Joseph. If you are anointed by Yahweh for a specific plan and purpose, you are a Messiah. Yahshua was the Messiah of mankind, but Donald Trump is the Messiah of America. So this is a well-established belief that they're laying out, that, that these people have been talking about for a while now. And the fact that he says that Trump is prophetic, I mean, I'm not a Christian, but it seems deeply, deeply blasphemous to me, honestly. The enemy just said, we've got to get this guy out to slow down the prophetic acceleration. Well, it seems to me that God is all-powerful and capable of doing absolutely anything, right? And because of that fact, it seems to me Satan wouldn't be able to stop God's master plan. Why are these people so convinced suddenly that God is like this weak, feeble character who's incapable of fulfilling his own interests or plans or whatever? Why is there even going to be a war between Satan and God? I don't understand. What is Armageddon? Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and, and Satan is just gone like that? Why all this messing around? Is there a chance Satan might win? I thought he was all-powerful, God. What happened to that concept? You know what happened to it? They threw it out the window because it didn't 
fit with the events that unfolded. A bunch of televangelists prophesied that God told them that Donald Trump was going to win the 2020 election. That's what they said. God told me Trump was going to win the 2020 election and he loses. And now what? Either God is not all powerful or you're a liar. It's one of the two. It's like there are two people mixed up in the prophet or the prophetic relationship, right? There's the prophet and there's God. There's the person receiving the information and the person giving the information. Somewhere in there, one of those two people lied. Either God said something to them that was false or they made a claim about something God told them that he really didn't. Somebody lied. Who was it? Was it you or was it God? Let me establish the guy's character a little more clearly for you if I haven't done a good enough job already. December 7th, 2021, he goes out to his church and he's a little bit upset because they seem to be criticizing him for various different false prophecies or for faith healing or whatever other thing that evangelicals do. Listen to what he says in response to criticisms. I'm, I'm not, I want you to understand, I'm not pointing to me because I'm not the only person that has this prophetic end time word. There are many men and many women out there. You know, somebody on the internet, he thinks he is. He's Mr. Blah, blah. I don't care what you idiots think. You need to go get a job. You won't work a job and you spend all your time on Facebook trolling people. It's go get a job. There's 25 places in Cleveland that need help. At least. There's that righteous anger, I guess. Is that that's probably the defense he'd use, right? Just like Jesus, just an angry guy when people call him out for giving false prophecies. Absolutely. Now this one doesn't really further the story or elaborate on anything really, but before we get to our final clip, which I wanted to talk about. He released this clip recently. This is the one that I really wanted to, to touch on. He lays out a, a brand new prophecy that he claims to have prophesied. But before we get there, I want to just give you a little idea of who this guy is when he's up there preaching at the pulpit. Listen to this. Late September 2019. Just check this out. By the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, God, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, healing, healing, healing. I pray, I pray, I pray, deliverance, 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 deliverance. Yes, Lord, 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 yes, Lord. Karamosharadanda rabasha karabamanda didiasa uratataratatalamohoshakaya. Dude, is this guy looking at his phone right now? What is he doing? Put the phone down. You're praying to God right now, right? Isn't that what praying in tongues is? Isn't it like a form of prayer? Yes, Lord, have your way, have your way, have your way, have your way. You get a little closer. I know it's kind of hard to see. Why, why does he put his glasses on? Just look at the phone. Uh, now he's not even pretending to pray in tongues. Oh, uh, uh, hallelujah. I love the little hallelujah he fits in there at the end. Oh, uh, 
You think you should be paying attention at church? I mean, come on. Don't you complain about the kids these days not paying attention at church? This guy is lit. Look, it goes on for a while. Seriously, look. So this video starts at the 410 mark. It goes until 550. So he did that for like a minute and 40 seconds, just sitting there looking at his phone going, Oh, this is so cringy, dude. Oh, my God. By the anointing, by the anointing, by the anointing, by the anointing. I just don't know how anybody buys this. It's insane, man. Absolutely insane. So that brings us to the latest clip that I have for you. This is from early October 2022. And he claims to have prophesied the BP oil spill from 2010, I think. Listen to this. I stood on the coast of Louisiana. I saw the ocean. I saw the oil rigs, uh, platforms, oil rig platforms. And I saw one where a tornado starts spinning on the platform and oil going everywhere. It then shifted to five things that would be affected. I saw trucks. I saw empty restaurants. I saw empty mom and pop shops. Nobody. Okay, mom and pop shops and restaurants. Aren't those basically synonymous? effectively interesting what were the other two what were the other two things that you had i saw empty mom and pop shops nobody going to them and i saw five things that would be effective yeah you said that what are the other two i want to know what the other two are come on lay it on me this is a prophecy from god right this is specific you should have this very specific information you wrote this down right immediately after it happened and sealed sealed it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and mailed it to somebody who could keep it safe so we can verify, as a matter of fact, it was a prophecy? Oh, you didn't do any of that stuff? Then I have no reason to believe you. This guy is a full-blown charlatan. Top to bottom charlatan. Has been since day one. And it's a wonder that anybody buys a word out of his mouth, honestly. Anyway, I'm getting worked up here. Let's keep listening to his supposed prophecy. So five things God told him we would see. I saw trucks. I saw empty restaurants. I saw empty mom and pop shops. Nobody. Yeah, I guess he just, he's trying to stall for time. Couldn't come up with two more. Going to them. And I saw five things that would be effective. And I realized something's going to happen off the coast of Louisiana. I called a pastor. You probably know Dino Rizzo, Brother mm -hmm. Dino. They used to be at Healing Place Church. He was at Healing Place Church then. I said, Dino, you're going to have an oil rig problem off the coast of Louisiana, and you all need to get ready for it. And two years later, if you'll remember, that rig exploded. The oil was pouring out from under the ground. They were calling it the worst disaster, and they were predicting all sorts of terrible things. Okay, I, I think he's talking about the BP oil spill from 2010. I, I'm i not sure which specific event he's talking about. It seems like that. Anyway, so supposedly this prophecy came to him in 2008. That's how the dates would line up if that's what he's talking about here. And interestingly enough, we don't have the other pastor on here to verify that he even said it to him. Even if we did have that pastor on, I would need a little bit more. But we don't even have that. We don't have an, a, a written letter from that time period sealed and signed we don't have extremely detailed and precise information in that letter to point to exactly what was going to happen this doesn't qualify as a prophecy at all this doesn't qualify as anything you can't come out after an event happens and say god told me this was going to happen that's not a prophecy that's just you pretending to have secret information after the fact i need a little bit more than that 
and everything began shutting down in Louisiana exactly the way I saw it. So the Lord prepared him and his church. He actually prepared things and told me later, you know, we, we had food going on. We had water and different things of that nature. And we went to his church and I had the original paper. I still have it. I should have brought it with me. if I. Yeah, you should have. You think if you want anybody to believe a word out of your mouth, then you're going to need to bring proof. And we were going to do the programs, but I have the original paper of the vision with the drawings on it. And I told the church and I said, tonight, they're predicting this is a disaster that will go on for months or years. It will not. Tonight, we stop it in the spirit. And we asked God to stop that because it was going to be an, just a total disaster for Florida, Alabama, the coastal areas, you know, Louisiana. And a man was in his bathtub. This is the story I was told one month later. Not a lick of evidence for any of this. Not one bit. Not a shred. He comes out after the fact, makes these claims blindly, and gullible suckers believe him. And he put the plug in the tub, and he pulled it out, and he realized, oh my goodness, we can stop that. And they plugged it, and it was the end of it. What? Some guy in his bathtub puts a plug in his bathtub and, and realizes, wait, we can do that with the oil spill? Is that, Am I reading this correctly? What is he going on about right now? This is bizarre, dude. That's Perry Stone. Perry Stone is absolutely obsessed with playing cheap charlatan tricks on his audience members. And it works, sadly. People buy it. He's got a gigantic audience. He's been doing this since the 80s. People listen to this guy and believe him, no matter how much he insults them. Yes, he thinks he is. He's Mr. Blah Blah. I don't care what you idiots think. You need to go get a job. You won't work a job, and you spend all your time on Facebook. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. What matters is that they believe he's a prophet of God because he knows how to manipulate people. He knows how to pretend to get gullible suckers to believe him. That's what really matters. If you disagree with anything I've said in this, let me know in the comments or on Twitter at Telltale Atheist. Next, we're going to talk about Doug Mastriano's belief that elementary schools have a pole dancing problem. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale channel. If you like what I do and you want to see me continue to do it, check out my Patreon. You can also check out my Telltale Unfiltered channel, Twitter, and Teespring. All links can be found in the description. This is Doug Mastriano, and he's running for Pennsylvania governor. By the time this video comes out, we will know one way or another if he is going to be the next Pennsylvania governor. Listen to what he had to say early October 2022. On day one, the sexualization of our kids, pole dancing, and all this other crap that's going on will be forbidden in our schools. Kids pole dancing in our schools? Can you name one example of this happening? Literally anywhere. Just one. I will wait. On day one, all the graphic, pornographic books that are in elementary schools will be, will be pulled out. He thinks kids are sitting in school looking at porn? No, this is fabricated nonsense. This is not happening. I feel like I shouldn't even have to say that after his first comment about pole dancing, but I'm just putting it on record. On day one and done, critical race theory is out the window. Yep. 
It would be great if he could define what he thinks that is for us. That's right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay, so who is Doug Mastriano? Let's talk about some of his other political positions because, as I said, he has a, a real chance at being the Pennsylvania governor, and if he doesn't become the governor, this is still where political discourse is right now in America. We need to talk about this one way or another. One more thing about the CRT thing. CRT, critical race theory, is actually a college-level post-grad course, usually like law school course that people take as a lens of analysis to view society. It's not a lens that people usually view society through on a daily basis. This is just an analytical tool that people use to view the law and things like that. It's only taught in upper-level college classes. There is no CRT in elementary, middle, or high school. Completely fabricated. Here's another reason we need to talk about this guy. The Christian nationalist arm of political discourse in America is getting a foothold right now. This is Eric Metaxas on the left. He's a full-blown Christian nationalist extremist, and he decided to have Mastriano on his show, the Eric Metaxas radio show, to talk to him about his beliefs and feelings and goals and aspirations. Early October 2022. Well, people like Josh Shapiro, you know, I will... Josh Shapiro is Mastriano's opponent in the gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania right now. You know, I will say it, you can't, but he's a villain. He, he's focusing on things that are monstrous. This is not, well, we differ. This is evil, ladies and gentlemen, and you have a vote. And if you don't tell everyone you know in the state of Pennsylvania to vote for uh, Doug Mastriano uh, and against Josh Shapiro, you are aiding and abetting a horror story. People That's really disturbing. That is deeply disturbing for a number of reasons. Let me just lay out a few. First of all, what this guy is saying here is creating an us versus them mentality. Now, why is that disturbing, I hear you ask? This is literally, I'm not going to use hyperbole here. I want you to bear with me because it sounds like it's hyperbole. It's not. I'm going to back that up in a second. This is exactly what Nazis did in World War II. No joke. Let me back that up with evidence. There's this video from 1942 called Don't Be a Sucker. I think it's between 1942 and 1947. I'm not exactly sure which year it came out, but it's from that era. The whole idea of this show was to prevent America from slipping down the fascist hole that Germany slipped into during World War II. From the 19, early 30s Germany to 1940s Germany, basically. So they make this film to try to prevent people from falling into this hole. Watch what happens here. This guy walks up to a guy on the street on the corner talking about politics. The truth about America. I know you've got a lot of questions. You want to know why you're not getting the breaks you deserve? Well, I'm not a politician. But I've made it my business to study these things, and I happen to know the facts. Now, friends, I'm just an average American. But I'm an American-American. And some of the things I see in this country of ours make my blood boil. I see people with foreign accents making all the money. I see Negroes holding jobs that belong to me and you. Now, I ask you, if we allow this thing to go on, what's going to become of us real Americans? 
Is this sounding familiar? Does this sound like anybody that we know and love? Somebody that recently ran for office, didn't expect him to win, but he did. Is it sounding familiar at all? Then this guy sits down with the other dude to have a chat with him about what we just heard. Before he said Mason, you were ready to agree with him. Well, yes, but he was talking about, what about those other people? But in this country, we have no other people. We are American people, all of us. What about you? You aren't American, are you? I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. What were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. They zoom forward in a little bit and show how this played out in Germany. Listen to this. Five young men that I knew were standing in the crowd listening to the Nazi speaker. Eric was a Catholic. Anton, a student of mine, was a Jew. Heinrich owned a small hardware store. Karl was a farmer. And Hans was an unemployed metal worker. To all true Aryan Germans, I say it is time you inherited the nation which rightfully belongs to you. To you alone belongs the glorious destiny of the greater Germany. The Nazi party will provide land for the farmer, work for the worker, and profits for the small businessman. Who is getting these things now? The Jew. The Jew who has stolen our nation and our birthright. Who makes all the money and takes all our jobs? The Jew! He must be shunned. He must be ostracized. He must be eliminated. Is this sounding familiar at all? Demonizing people for intrinsic qualities about them? In the state of Pennsylvania, to vote for uh, Doug Mastriano uh, and against Josh Shapiro, you are aiding and abetting a horror story. People are being murdered. If you ever meet someone who has had a loved one murdered, this is, it doesn't get worse when the government cannot protect us from, from violent crime. That's as basic as it gets. It's all focusing around othering. You are evil if you support this person. You are evil if you believe this thing. You are contributing, aiding, and abetting this evil murder machine. This is exactly what people were saying in the early 1930s in Germany. Exactly the same stuff. No joke. So what we're listening to right now is pure, unadulterated fascism and extremism. And this is why the us versus them mentality is so deeply wrong and disturbing. Something else that this video from 1942, I think, goes on to point out is that, you know what, I'll just let them say it for us. Listen to this little section right here. There were others who spoke for truth, and I am proud to say that educators were among them. And what, may I ask, is an Aryan? I don't know myself. It's because there's no such thing as an Aryan. But let us see what our present so-called authorities have to say about him. They say he is tall, 
slender. Dude, I fucking love this guy's mustache. It is absolutely on point. I've been doing everything I can to not swear on stream for a while now, but that mustache and those eyebrows absolutely warrant a fuck. Blue-eyed and blonde. The point is, the people that he was pointing to, none of them represent what they claim the Aryan race was. There is no Aryan race. And more important, there is no master race. There are people who may find these ideas convenient, but science cannot support them. There is no scientific proof that there's any correlation between a man's racial characteristics and his native ability or character. Dude, imagine saying something contrary to the party when the students in your class are all part of the Hitler Youth. Like, almost every kid was at the time, and they're all wearing armbands like this. You've got to have a serious apple bag to do something like that. Ability or character. In all racial groups, we find the same range of potentialities. We find idiots and geniuses. We find criminals and philanthropists. We must judge each man as an individual and not by the color of his skin or his eyes. Prejudice and hatred is learned. It is not innate it's not inborn there is some degree of a tribalistic attitude that you're born with you know you prefer people who also like your sports team or people who are born in the same area as you or whatever but this distinction in race between blacks and whites and asians and whatever else it's fabricated it's it's taught it's created to serve a purpose. And the point of this whole video, don't be a sucker, is that people are teaching prejudice to get something out of it. They are suckering you into being their lackey, into doing what they want you to do. They're benefiting from your hatred. They're earning money from it. Or by the length of his nose. This is how it went, man. This is pretty accurate. It's scary stuff. This teacher was teaching the accurate science that there is no Aryan race. There's no such thing as a master race to a classroom full of Hitler youth. And this was inevitable, and he knew it was. This stuff really happened. Come in, gentlemen. Make yourselves comfortable. There are many differences between individuals. We each have different capabilities, different backgrounds, different views about what's right and what's wrong. Like the difference between me and these gentlemen who have just arrived. But that is not the difference in race. It is a difference in the way we think. Remember that. And remember that there is no master race. 
that is a scientific truth. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. That's how it went. That was extremely common back then. And look at what we're listening to all over again. Eric Metaxas has been pretty mild so far in what he's said. Not not quite as on the nose. But I'll tell you this. He has a lot of guests on who say similar things. Like this one right here. This guy's name was uh, John Zimmerak, I believe, on Eric Metaxas' radio show. This is spiritual warfare, and we are now in, in the Normandy landing of spiritual warfare. The Democratic Party is possessed by preternatural evil. It is not a human institution anymore. It is an instrument of wicked spirits. This is demonic. Is this sounding familiar to anybody else? That's what we're dealing with now. So let's keep listening to Eric Metaxas and Doug Mastriano, gubernatorial candidate for Pennsylvania, talk about how evil and sick and demented and twisted their opponents are. Violent crime and not... Oh, and violent. Only is Josh Shapiro, Doug Mastriano's opponent, not protecting the people of Pennsylvania from violent crime. His policies have aided and abetted it. It's the sort of thing... It's like out of a comic book, this is villainy, uh, this is evil, and the only thing that has to happen is, folks, you need to get into that voting booth and you need to tell everyone you know, because this is li literally lives are at stake. Uh, if a year from now a relative of yours is murdered and you didn't vote, you're going you're gonna to think, well, you know, maybe I should have voted. That is where we are with the Republican Party currently. It is deeply disturbing stuff, seriously. A while back, he went to a QAnon conference called Patriots Arise, where they handed him this sword as a prize or as a thank you or whatever for coming to their conference. Check this out. When we were planning this conference, and I'm um, just thinking about the warfare that you both have gone through, and we thought, wow, Lord, what would be the best gift for them and we thought of the David sword because you've been cutting a lot of heads <laughs> off. <laughs> and, um, cutting a lot of heads off, she says. No, she means that in a figurative sense right now. We'll see if that changes. And, and so we had inscribed in there wow. for God and country because That's you have amazing. been fighting for our country Thank and you. you're fighting for um, our religious rights in Christ Jesus. So um, we wanted to bless you with that wow. sword of David Thank and you. then um, a bunch of goodies in Aww. here, too. <laughs> so it's kind of heavy. Hopefully it won't break. But um, yeah, they're all extremists. They're all QAnoners. These are QAnoners, by the way. This is a full blown QAnon conference. It believes all the, the adrenochrome stuff and the whole nine yards. These are all extremists. He only ever really associates with extremists. He famously took a picture with some faculty at a university or something, and they, it was like a dress-up day or whatever, and he chose to wear a Confederate soldier's uniform. He's the only one who chose to wear a Confederate soldier's uniform. The only one. Weird choice, huh? Why a Confederate soldier of all things? Why couldn't he have chosen the Union soldier? That wasn't part of the deal. I mean, he was perfectly free to choose any of them. 
he chose the Confederate one. He goes out there and tries to defend his decision to, uh, I think this is Newsmax. Yeah, this is Dan Ball. I believe it's Newsmax. Listen to this. You know, as one of the faculty historians, uh, you know, there's a handful of us that are actually doctors of history at the War College at the time and uh, gave many, many tours, hundreds of tours of the battlefield, which is just 40 minutes south of War College. And, and like I said, it's around a corner from my house here. And uh, I think it's important we understand the past so in, to have a better future. And not- Absolutely. Agreed. I want to understand the past to have a better future, too. Only I want to understand the Union side a little better. You know, I'm okay with understanding the Confederate side, too, in an effort to prevent that from happening again. Why is he wearing the Confederate uniform? This is not a requirement. This wasn't like a a reenactment, like, oh, those guys are going to dress up as Union. I got to do the other side. No, this was his conscious choice to wear a Confederate uniform. Also not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And so, you know, my, my... I know, God, God have mercy in your soul. You know, what's, what's, <laughs> the irony was, you know, there I am just dressed up as a uh, regular soldier. Uh, the, uh, all the leaders of the Confederacy were Democrats. All the slaveholders, which would Such a dirty, underhanded argument. They were all Democrats, yeah, but they were conservatives. The Democratic Party was the conservative party at the time. It wasn't until the 60s and 70s and even a little bit later before the Republican Party became the conservative party. There's a party switch in the U.S. It's such a common piece of propaganda. I feel like I have to address it every time it comes up. Made up a very small proportion of, of the Confederate Army uh, were slaveholders mm-hmm. that were Democrats. And the founders of the KKK were the Democrats, those who... Pro- and what are they now? They're all Republicans. They all voted for Trump. The KKK did because there's a party switch. Perpetuated Jim Crow laws of segregation were Democrats. Yes. You see that there's a problem here. The Republican Party, of course, was uh, was uh, formed to get rid of slavery. Okay, no, I'm not super sure that that's why the Republican Party was formed, but okay, whatever. The point is it was the conservative party that started the KKK. It was a conservative party that didn't want to abolish slavery. It was the conservative party that split off from the Union and created the Confederacy. That's what it was. And he knows that. He claims to be a historian. I don't know what his credentials actually are, so he's allegedly a historian. He knows that. Full well. He knows what he's doing right now is lying. So obviously he's not on the side of the Confederacy, right? That's what we just heard from the guy. He told us we're just worried over a hill of bananas over here. There's no reason to think that he would be in favor of the Confederacy. So it would be pretty awkward to come across a video of him praising somebody for wearing a Confederate flag as a cape, right? That would be really weird if we came across something like that. You too. Eric is. I follow you every night on Facebook. That is fan. Any words of wisdom for our constituents out there? It's kind of hard to tell, but this is in the background here. You can see it's an, an American flag melded with a Confederate flag. American flag is on the right side, Confederates on the left, or whatever, on the cape. <laughs> this is just ridiculous at its face. Anyway, uh, yeah, he's wearing a Confederate flag as a cape, basically. I wouldn't show up today. <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not unless you love America. <laughs> You're looking good there, man. Thanks. I can't think of a better cape. <laughs> wow. For somebody who doesn't like the Confederacy, who thinks that it was wrong and, and, and was only dressing up as a Confederate soldier 
as like a joke or ironically or whatever, kind of weird to find a video of this guy praising somebody for wearing a a Confederate flag as a cape. Super weird, huh? The weirdest. Uh, There's a better shot of the cape right there. Yeah, see, it's an American flag melded with with a Confederate flag. So there you go. Why would they even make those? Is it a message of like, separate but equal like america and confederacy should be separate or i don't know i don't know what the message is i have no idea but either way doug mastriano endorsed that message so go right down the drain with all those defensive claims like oh i was just dressing up so we can remember you know just gotta remember can't tear down any of these statues we gotta remember because statues are the only way to remember anything apparently it's just absurd it's absurd at its face And it's ridiculous to think that there are people out there who actually buy these ridiculous excuses. Come on. If that doesn't disturb you, listen to this. This is Ali Alexander on screen. This is from late September 2022. Ali Alexander was the person that he's the one that applied for the permit to hold the protest on January 6th. And some of the events and stuff like that. So he's actually extremely influential. I've never talked about him before, but he's very high up in the Trumpist movement and very, very influential in his own right. So anyway, listen to what Ali Alexander has to say about the Doug Mastriano campaign. Ali Alexander says, vote, vote for Doug Mastriano. In fact, if you can find a way to secretly vote twice, no, I'm just kidding. But am I? (laughs) Don't get caught. That doesn't sound like a joke to me. People are literally encouraging others to go out there and vote twice. That is the stupidest idea you could possibly have. Do you know how many people got caught last, like, 2020 who voted twice? A lot. And they were almost all Trump supporters, interestingly enough. You want to know why? Because Trump's side says things like this. This is not the only example of it. Let me show you another. This is from September 2nd, 2020. It was right before the election actually took place. It was in North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. Trump gets off an airplane and talks to a reporter. 600,000 people could vote by absentee in this state. Are you you confident in that system? They'll go out and they'll vote and they're going to have to go and check their vote by going to the poll and voting that way because uh, if it it, uh, tabulates, then they won't be able to do that. He just told people to vote twice also, which is, as far as I know, I think illegal. That's why Ali Alexander in the first place said he was joking. How did Trump get away with it? You got me? Let him send it in and let him go vote. And if their system's as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote. If it isn't tabulated, they'll be able to vote. So that's the way it is. Actual voter fraud or actual encouragement of voter fraud at the very least. It has been a theme in the Republican Party for a while now. Here is one example of Trump doing it, and here is a brand new example of Ali Alexander doing it. Like I said, do not downplay the significance of this guy. He's extremely influential in the movement. Is As far as I know, is in direct contact with Trump, or was, at the very least, on January 6th. I have more info on that, but I don't want to get into it because I, I haven't verified any of it, so I'm only going to tell you things that I know for sure. So yeah, that's Doug Mastriano, and that's why he's most definitely not not on the side that he thinks he's on. That's why we have to defeat him in November. And not only that, we have to defeat the ideas in the country 
in the coming decade. Whether he wins or not, these ideas will linger. We can't escape this. We're going to have to address it as a society, unfortunately. If you disagree with anything I've said, let me know in the comments or on Twitter at Telltale Atheist. Kitty Mom, I have a friend who's a Trump supporter. Yes, I know. Even even she really doesn't like Mastriano. Well, that might be a good sign, right? I'm not sure if Mastriano got Trump's endorsement or not. Did he? I don't remember. Let me see. He seems like the type of person who would get his endorsement. Oh, wow. Okay. It looks like he was endorsed like a day before his primary or something like that. It appears. Yeah, it looks like Mastriano has been Trump endorsed, but hey, it's a good sign that maybe he's not as popular in Trump circles as we think he is. He doesn't have the best chance of winning, but he's got a way better chance than he should. I think he's currently at like 40% to Josh Shapiro's 48% or something. Let's see. Let me just look it up. No need to wonder. Just loaded up our question gun. Let's go answer hunting. Okay, Mastriano is at 41%. Shapiro is at 51%. So there's a 10-point split. Do not get cocky with this. Seriously, do not get cocky with this. It could go any way. It's entirely too close for my comfort. Get out there and vote if you're in Pennsylvania, period, or Georgia, or honestly anywhere. Deeply disturbing stuff, man. Are we perhaps exaggerating the amount of support these people have? Like, how many views does Victory Channel get? Are... There are more of us, right? Says Booster Gold. There are more of us, but... Well, Victory Channel, I, I don't know how many views they get exactly. It's a channel on, like, Dish Network and DirecTV and stuff. It's like a TV channel, like TNN or... Wait, CNN or TNT or Oxygen or E or whatever. It's like one of those. Or Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. It's like that. I think that the country is made up of somewhere around 50% or 15, I'm sorry, 15% hardcore QAnon extremists. I would say it's concentric circles. That's the inner circle. The next circle out is 20 to 25%, 20 to 25. And it is evangelical nutcases who will do absolutely anything to gain power. The next circle out is about 40% identify as Republican, 35 to 40%. So that is 60 to 65% of people who do not identify as Republican or extremist, you know, right-wing extremists or anything. But it doesn't really matter because of gerrymandering and a number of other things, like the integration of church and state, making voting a religious mandate, they win a lot of elections that they shouldn't win because there are a lot more people in that district that want reasonable leaders who are not extremists. But when every church in this entire town tells people you need to vote for blah, 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 Mastriano or whoever else, and it's a religious mandate, and if you don't, you're going to hell, you better believe these people go out there and vote for Mastriano. They don't want to go to hell. They have spent their entire lives working against going to hell. You know, that's the idea. That's why the separation of church and state is so necessary. That's why we have to fight to keep it, because religion manipulates people into getting what it wants. That's how it's always worked. Are they bigger than us? No. Are they more motivated than us? Yes. And that's the problem. They're more motivated. We need to be more motivated or grow one or the other. 
Thank you guys for coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to see me continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, there's Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and coffee cups and stuff on there. You can also check out my other channels. I have a Telltale Unfiltered YouTube channel where I go through long-form videos like Kent Hovind's seminar series, Jehovah's Witnesses TV show, and televangelists prophesying about politics. And finally, you can check out my social media. If you have a question for me, the best way to ask it is to tweet it at me. I'm on there all the time so check it out all links are in the description as always anyways that's all i've got for you thanks for listening